0: Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church down in Chesapeake, Virginia. I want to thank you for tuning in on the Monday broadcast, and I hope that you had a great weekend. I hope that the Lord is blessing you with uh, a lot of good weather. We've enjoyed beautiful weather here in the Hampton Roads area, and we are so blessed to live in this part of the country. Uh, it is fall, and it's not too many weeks away from Christmas. And I do want to encourage you. Right now is a great time to get back into church and. And maybe you have been listening online, and maybe you have been wanting to come back, and you said, man, I don't know whether it's safe to come back. Hey, I want to encourage you to come on back, right? Uh, It is safe, and uh, good things are happening. And so come on back and be part of the church, and be part of worshiping the Lord with other believers, and we'll have a great time as we worship together in spirit and in truth. Well, today, as you know, on the Monday broadcast, we always try to recap what happened at the weekend at Hickory Ridge Community Church. And my, we had a great weekend. We've been going through a series called Prodigal God by Timothy Keller, and we have so enjoyed this study. I tell you what, every time I pick up another chapter in his book, I get blessed and more blessed and learn something new. And uh, you know, God's mercies are new every morning. Uh, So as you get into God's Word every single day, even if you're dealing with a passage that you are very familiar with, God has something new for you. His mercies are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. So we just want to take a minute today and praise the Lord for what He is doing. Well, today I want to talk to you about four proofs of repentance. Four proofs of repentance. Now, World War II was over, and the armistice had been signed in Europe and in Japan. All the hostilities had ceased. But under the leadership of General MacArthur, the Allies had bypassed many of the islands of the Pacific in their drive toward Japan. Now, even though the war was over, tens of thousands of Japanese soldiers were still occupying those islands, hiding in the jungles and in the mountains of the Pacific. The Americans went to the islands and said, the war is over. Peace has been declared. Lay down your arms and come on out. But the Japanese thought it was a trick. So MacArthur had the Emperor of Japan make recordings, which they would broadcast with loudspeakers out into the jungles and into the mountains, and the loudspeakers would announce, The war is over! Peace has been declared! Lay down your arms and come on out! Only then did the Japanese soldiers begin to slowly trickle out. However, the last soldier... Didn't come out until March of 1974, 29 years after the war was over. This soldier was asked, well, why did it take you so long to come out? They asked him. He says, why? I was afraid. I was afraid to come out. I was afraid it was a trick. Well, today we're looking at a subject that may elicit some fear in you today. That subject is Repentance. And we're going to be talking about this subject today and tomorrow in the broadcast. And as you look at this word repentance, it is most commonly translated the word turn or return. Now, this concept of repentance is found over 1,000 times in Scripture. Amazing. The Word of God has a lot to say about repentance. When you think about repentance, it is laying down your arms. It is coming out and it is surrendering. Now, I want to look at this from the lens of the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. In Luke 15, 31, it says, My son, everything I have is yours. Now, this is great to know that everything the father has is ours. Well, what holds us back from receiving that freedom in Christ? Well, I think many times we're hanging on to things that we needed to just let go. And in most cases, it's our fear, it's our pride, and we can't seem to quite grasp this whole concept of repentance. 2021 marks the 40th anniversary of the Indiana Jones franchise. Indiana Jones 5 will be coming out June of 2023. In the original movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, there is a legendary scene. And maybe you're familiar with this scene if you're old like I am, and you can remember when it first came out. In this legendary scene, Indiana Jones, played by Harrison Ford, is hanging on by a single hand on the edge of a chasm. And with his other hand, he's trying to reach out for this goblet that supposedly once held the blood of Christ. As the tips of his fingers are just grazing the edge of the goblet, he starts grunting. I can just about reach it, he says. Above him is his father, played by Sean Connery, who reaches out pleading. Junior! take my hand, take my hand. And finally, his father tells him to let it go. And Indiana Jones reaches up for his father's hand and grabs onto his father's hand. It's an amazing scene. It's a fascinating scene. Now, the reason I mentioned this scene is because I think so many people are at that same juncture in their life. They are so close to God blessing them, and it's just within their grasp. But it seems like there's something that they refuse to let go of, and they refuse to let go of something, and that is holding them back. I want you to know something about repentance. Repentance is one of those concepts that is given to us as a gift by God. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. He says, Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, his forbearance, his patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to Repentance. Now listen, if you've been married any length of time, more than a few weeks, right? You have learned the concept of forbearance. In other words, I am going to bear with somebody because I love them. I'm going to be kind to somebody because I love them. I'm going to be patient with somebody because I love them. Uh, That's what love does. And so Paul tells us that God loves us so much that he shows us his kindness, his forbearance, his patience, not realizing that this kindness is actually intended to lead us to repentance. Now, the dilemma is this. When we are refusing God's gift of repentance— We are missing this gift of repentance. We no longer see his goodness or his kindness. We are stuck up on a hurt that we refuse to release. So I want to encourage you today, as we look at this subject of repentance, I'm going to give you four proofs of repentance, okay? Uh, They're really simple truths that every one of us goes through this process when we understand the whole concept of repentance. Now, before we go too far... I think that the main barrier, as we look at the story of the prodigal son, found in Luke chapter 15, I think the main barrier uh, that we are looking at with that older brother is that he is like the Pharisees. The main barrier between the Pharisees and God is not their sins. But as one person said, it is their damnable good works. As we look at this story, the father in the story of the prodigal son says to the older brother, the oldest son, all that I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. Now, if this is truly the case, why is the older brother, why is he so miserable? Why does he refuse to go in and, and enjoy that welcome home party that was given for his brother? You see, that younger brother repented, but the older brother did not. His refusal to repent caused him to be Miserable. So here's the four steps of repentance, or we could call them the four proofs that I am truly repentant. Letter A, acknowledge. I acknowledge my guilt. Letter B, I believe in God's mercy. And we're going to talk about it in just a few minutes, but believe is more than just giving intellectual assent. Belief is a change of mind and a change of direction, which leads to letter C. I actually change my life. I go in a new direction because I realized the direction that I was going in is wrong. I'm pierced with conviction, and then I change the direction of my life. And then letter D, don't forget this one. This is one I think many times gets left off. Many times we're quick to acknowledge our sin. We believe in God's mercy. We begin to change direction, but then it's very short-lived. Letter D is that I determine to live a holy life. Well, let's look at these one at a time. We'll look at the first two today and the last two tomorrow. Letter A is I acknowledge my guilt. That is my conscience is awakened to my sin, and I actually admit it. Now, this is a tough one, right? That first step of admitting that I'm wrong. But Paul put it this way, 2 Corinthians seven ten. godly sorrow brings about repentance that leads to salvation. And then I love this next little phrase. When we are truly repentant, we gain salvation, and that leaves no regret. But then Paul puts a comment, right? And so Paul puts a comment. He says, however, or puts that but in there, worldly sorrow, on the other hand, brings about death. There's a difference here between repentance and regret. Have you ever experienced godly sorrow in your life? Life is just filled with regrets. But regret is not godly sorrow. Paul said that those who come against the truth, those who are opposed to the truth, he calls those opponents, and he says to young Timothy, Hey, Timothy, when those are opposed to the truth, you must gently instruct them in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. You see, godly sorrow is... Is this kind of sorrow that we feel when we recognize just how wretched we are. And that is what brings about repentance. It's a sinner that is moved to the point of tears of grief. Now, a great example of this found in the Bible is Peter. I love Peter. I think I can so relate to Peter, and maybe you can too. It seems like Peter had a mouth-foot disease. It seems like he always put his foot in his mouth, right? He would speak first and then think about what he said later. Well, Peter, at the time of Jesus' arrest and the trial, uh, he's gathered around with the other disciples and and, and he says, you know, the rest of these guys, you know, the rest of these disciples, they may abandon you because Jesus prophesied that all of the the disciples would abandon him. He says, they're going to smite the shepherd and the sheep are going to be scattered. Well, Peter got up there and says, well, the rest of these guys, they might leave you, but not me. I will even die for you. Well, it wasn't too long after Peter said those words, when he is accused as being a follower of Jesus. Now, Peter disowned Jesus by cursing and swearing to his accuser. he says, I never knew the man. I don't know the man. And then all of a sudden, Peter hears that rooster crow three times. And he remembers the word of Jesus who had prophesied these very actions. And it says when Peter remembered that, you know, that crow, that rooster crowing triggered his memory and it says he came unto conviction, and he went out, and he wept bitterly. Now, now, James also talks about acknowledging our sins. And he says, when we go through this process of repentance, we wash our hands, he says, you sinners, and you purify your hearts, you double-minded, grieve mourning well, change your laughter to mourning, and your joy to gloom. So here James is referencing this kind of deep sorrow. And he's given us this command. When we experience and acknowledge this deep sorrow, this, this sorrow of guilt, we grieve, we mourn, and we will. Now, there's a major difference between regret and repentance. Now, listen, if you're driving down the road and maybe you've had this happen, uh, you get what they call the Kmart Blue Light Special. Uh, one of uh, Chesapeake's finest or Virginia State Police finest, they pull you over And they've got those lights flashing and uh, they pull you over and they say, well, sir or ma'am, the reason I pulled you over is because you were exceeding the speed limit. And they tell you how fast you were going and what the speed limit is. And then they write you a wonderful summons, a wonderful ticket, and you sign it. You go on your merry way and you pay the fine. Now, if you're like most people, uh, you're not too regretful that you were speeding. You don't have a a change of, of attitude about speeding but you regret you got caught. You said, man, I should have turned on my GPS and it would have warned me that there was a speed trap ahead, but I didn't have it on. And I'm just barreling on through here, not paying attention. I got pulled over and I got this ticket and uh, and we regret we got caught. But there's no change. James tells us that we were double-minded. Prior to admitting our sins, we were dual-minded. On one hand, we wanted to have the applause of man. And on the other hand, we want to have the applause of God. You can't have both. So James says you should grieve and mourn and wail and change your laughter to mourning and change your joy to gloom. Now, as we look at the Old Testament prophets, they were given the duty to call for the people to repent. And they encouraged the people to grieve over their sins and to sit down in sackcloth and ashes. You know, as you look at Grieving and and mourning. The the best way that I can can maybe describe it and put words to it is is thinking about what happens when somebody that you really love dies. Uh, You know, it's hard to believe, but it's been almost twenty years since my dad has passed away. And sometimes I'll be I'll be just driving down the road and I'll be thinking about my dad out of the blue and and I just tears would just fill my eyes. Not too long ago I console the family. And they just lost a loved one uh, through suicide, a terrible ordeal. And, uh, and and the young lady who was involved with this uh, gentleman, uh, when she heard the news of his passing and, and that he had taken his life, uh, she just mourned and wept bitterly, almost uncontrollably. And, and she grabbed me and she was just shaking from from just that pain. And it wasn't that she was trying to do this, it's that the emotion of losing somebody, that grief just overwhelmed her. You know, there's some biblical examples of this as well. Godly sorrow was shown by David. We learned from Acts chapter 13, and you already know this, that David was a man after God's own heart. David revealed his godly sorrow for his sins. And he wrote many psalms about this, but perhaps the most popular one is Psalm 51. And we're going to read that in, in just a moment. But in other psalms, like Psalm 6.6, 6, David pleads with God for mercy, and he cries out. And he says, I am just worn out from, from groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with, with weeping, and I drench my couch with tears. You know, the Apostle Paul described his own battles with sin. He said this about his sin when he, was, when he was moved to repent of his sin. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And then he gives an answer. He says, when I felt overwhelmed with my sin, I began to repent the fact that I'm a wretched man. And he says, who's going to rescue me? And he tells us who's going to rescue us. And he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Why well, I want you to know when you're at that point of acknowledging your sin, Christ is right there, ready to rescue you. He realizes the torment that you go through and, and, the, and the slaying of your pride when you acknowledge your sin. David also understood that. If you have never read Psalm 51, I want to encourage you to become very familiar with Psalm 51. As a matter of fact, in Sunday service at our 11 o'clock service, we did a thing called responsive reading, and I had the congregation read one verse, and, and I would read another verse. But I want to read Psalm 51, verses 1 through 12, and just make a few comments as I go through this, because, you know, godly sorrow results from a heartfelt conviction that we have offended God by our sin. So David says this, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Verse number two, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict. You are justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time that my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Verse number seven is a, a beautiful picture. "'Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean.'" And maybe David is talking about uh, that branch that the nation of Israel were told to take that branch and sprinkle that blood of that lamb and put it up on the doorpost, and so when that death angel came through, they would pass over. Why? Because that family was cleansed ceremonially because of the blood on the doorpost, and David is crying out to God, Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Uh, Verse number eight, he says, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Wow, this is a powerful, powerful passage. We learn that godly sorrow results from a, a heartfelt conviction that we have offended God Almighty by our sin. Now, yes, as we look at the sin that David committed, uh, numerous sins, adultery and murder and, and lying and covering up, and he sinned against Bathsheba, and he sinned against Uriah by having him killed, by putting him on the front lines, but his major iniquity was against God and God only, and there was a ripple effect of that sin that impacted those who were close to David. This burning conviction. Produced a heart filled with godly sorrow. You know, as we look at him uh, and what Christ has done for us, Christ was pierced for our sins. And we are deeply grieved in spirit because of what he did and what our sins did to him. You see, we should resolve in our hearts that we will, with the help of God, cease to do evil and learn to do good. That's what Isaiah said. He says, you know, one of the ways that you know that your heart's right with God is that you cease to do evil and you learn to do good. This is the first step to a meaningful confession. It is understanding what sin is. Now, in Psalm 51, David uses three different words for the word sin. And an easy way to remember these three words is to spell out the word sit, S I T. So when you want to sit down and do some self-inventory and ask the Holy Spirit to convict you of your sins, look at these three areas. Each term has been deliberately chosen for its very unique meaning in Hebrew. So when you sit down and confess your sins, remember the word sit and spell out the word sit. So letter S stands for sin. As you're praying to God and asking the Lord to reveal those secret sins in your life, remember that sin is missing the mark. I have fallen short of the glory of God. It's actually a term that is used in archery. You have missed a bullseye. You've tried over and over again to get that perfect shot, but you keep missing it. You fall short or you go above it or beyond it. You missed the mark. So Lord, forgive us for the errors in our our lives that we have fallen short, that we miss the mark. David gave a, a second Hebrew word for that word sin, and he called it iniquity. Iniquity is that distortion of what should be. It is actually redefining our sin, or redefining what is right and what is wrong. In other words, we do something wrong. It's iniquity. It's a distortion of what is right, but redefine it, or we excuse it, right? We, we kind of say, well, based on the circumstances I find myself in, I had no other alternative. So I did this. I committed this iniquity. And now I'm, uh, I'm redefining. What has happened? You know, I think it has happened many times when marriages fall apart. A couple will look at a, a loophole in the scriptures because they are, they have committed a, an iniquity and that, that marriage is beginning to fall apart. And so uh, it, it it disappoints me, right, that the divorce rate within the church is just as high as the divorce rate outside of the church. And I think a lot of times couples will redefine some things and manipulate scripture to justify their iniquity. Well, David uses another word, okay? Uh, The third word that he uses in Psalm 51 for the word sin is the Hebrew word for transgressions. Wow, transgressions. Transgressions are that rebellious spirit. It is rebellion against God, his law, and his authority. So as we look at these three areas of sin, when a person goes through the process of being repentant he is looking at the areas of his life where he's missed the mark. He's looking at the areas of his life where he has distorted what should be, where he's redefined right and wrong, where he's excused some things by redefining some things. And then he's looking at transgressions. That is rebellion against God and his authority. Well, maybe you're feeling overwhelmed today as you're listening to the message. that says, well, you know, you don't understand what people have done to me, what people have said to me. And, and if you understood all that has come against me, uh, there'd be some some compassionate in my sin, right? Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this. If any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are worse than he thinks you to be. I remember years ago, I had a few people uh that were coming against me and and they created this this uh they fabricated this lie about me and it began to spread through the congregation and a little bit into the community and 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 i remember i was so frustrated because there wasn't a shred of truth in what they said and and finally somebody came to me and says well how do you feel about these people telling you these lies about you and i responded and says well uh i'm disappointed they tell me t- they're telling me these lies about me but i'm just glad they don't know the whole truth about me because they've had they'd have a whole lot worse to say about me kind of goes along with what spurgeon says here as we look at the second point, we're going to follow this up tomorrow. We've got to be aware of our sin, acknowledge our sin, but letter be. we've got to believe in God's mercy. You see, true repentance apprehends or takes hold of God's mercy in Jesus Christ. So David said, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. I hope you join me tomorrow as we talk about mercy, God's mercy, tapping into that mercy as we go through times of repentance. Well, thank you so much for listening today. Certainly do appreciate you checking us out today. I want you to know that we pray for you. And if you have something that is weighing heavy on your heart, you can shoot me an email at ccorbett at hrcc7.org. That's c c o r B-I-T-T at H-R-C-C-7.org or you can call me at 252-267- 2365. Thank you so much for listening to the broadcast. God bless you. I'll talk with you tomorrow. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunny service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at wwwhrcc seven. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.